I don't think we should make the assumption that managers know all of the answers. And sometimes we put managers in a position where we say to them, you're a manager because you have all the answers. They need to have the same opportunity to vent about resources and ask for all the things that they need, just like the employees are asking of them. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. On today's show, I've got Charlene Lauby. And if you're in the world of work, leadership, human resources, you know her as the HR bartender. Now, one of the things I love about Charlene is that I've known her for well over a decade and her work just keeps getting better and better. Whether it's her writing, her consulting, her speaking, or her new podcast, Charlene kills it, whatever she does. And on today's episode, we talk about it all, including her take on what managers are facing in this new world of COVID. So if you're like me, kind of a fangirl, and you like two nerdy women talking about human resources, well, sit tight and enjoy this episode with Charlene Lauby. Hey, Charlene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. You know, I'm an admirer. I'm a fan. I'm president of the fan club. But for those out there who don't know who you are and what you're all about, why don't you tell them? Well, I'm a human resources professional turned consultant, and I've been doing that now for about the last 15 years. The consultancy focuses primarily in the training and development space. And when I'm not doing that, I write a blog called HR Bartender. Yeah, just a little blog, <laughs> not, a, not a big blog at all. It's one of the most popular blogs, not only in the human resources sphere, but in the business and management sphere. And before we talk about all of that, let's go to your human resources career, because a lot of people say, oh, I used to work in HR and they had like a stint in staffing. What did you do? My HR background is primarily focused on what I would call the service related industries. So I grew up in theme parks, hotels and airlines, and my last corporate job was VP of HR for a global organizational consulting firm. I always say that a lot of the companies that I've worked with in my lifetime have been ones where people made the difference. You know, there are lots of airlines and they all have seats and they take you from point A to point B. There are lots of hotels and they all have beds. It's the employees that make you want to go back to that place again. It's the employees that really make a difference in the way you feel about being at that particular organization. So I've always felt like people were a key differentiator in all of the companies that I've worked at. You know, people are the key differentiator, but in these businesses, especially in the service industries that have small margins, people can also be a complexity. So there's a lot of tension there. And I wonder what it's like to work as an HR leader in those environments where people are your greatest asset, but they're also the most expensive thing on your budget. Payroll does consume a lot of the bottom line. But again, if people are your greatest asset, then you know that that's an investment well spent. Well, that's really well said and really optimistic. I like that. That's why we're friends. You bring the optimism, I bring the cynicism, it all works out. <laughs> Before we go into what you're doing today, I once stayed at the Peabody Hotel in Orlando, which no longer exists anymore, not the original Peabody Hotel. 
it will always be the Peabody Hotel to me. Okay, perfect. So you told me a story about your husband. So do you mind telling everybody a little bit about his background and connection to the Peabody? My husband was the opening duck master for the Peabody Hotel in Orlando. He was responsible for taking care of the ducks. And when he wasn't taking care of the ducks, you know, they lived on property in a duck palace. They were very well taken care of. The cost of their duck palace was more than the cost of our home at that point in times. They lived a life of luxury. And when he wasn't taking care of the ducks, he would be a brand ambassador for the Peabody Hotel. He's been on Good Morning America and back when Regis and Kathy Lee were a thing. So, you know, he's been on television with ducks. And I think it's important to let everybody know that the ducks played a role not only in the brand, but also they were performative. So how did your husband work with the ducks? My understanding is they are creatures of habit. You know, I'm going to turn it back to you because your cats probably do the same thing. You know, at a certain time every day, they know that something's going to happen. They know they're going to get treats or they're going to get toys. Well, the ducks kind of know the same thing. You know, at 11 o'clock, they knew that they were going to start the march. And at five, they knew that they had been there long enough and they were going to go back to their duck palace. I think that's so underappreciated, this idea of an experience in a hotel, because it's true. These ducks would have this grand march down an elevator and out of the elevator into a pond. And it was like a thing and people watched and they cheered them on and it was exciting. And then at whatever five o'clock, you know, happy hour comes, they're going back every single day. I mean, it was just really a fun place to stay and a fun thing to see. So when I found out that you were married to a guy who did that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're going to be friends. I need to know more about this. <laughs> I think that's the um, beauty, and people don't quite understand this, of being on the road with someone. And you and I know one another through HR consulting and traveling together and being at these events. There's a lot of downtime where you connect on a human-to-human -human level. And I don't know, hearing that story just made me want to go, tell me more, Charlene. What else about your life? The Hyatt Orlando is an absolutely gorgeous hotel. But when you walk through there, I always think about the ducks. Now, I do have to tell you, and it kind of goes back to our service background. Some of the employees at the Hyatt Orlando are employees from the Peabody Orlando. And I need to tell you that even after all of these years, I'm just going to say that it's been lots and lots of years since my husband worked at the Peabody. He can walk in there and employees will recognize him. So when you're thinking about employees and the kinds of people that you want to bring into your organization, that's the story you want. Well, I don't blame them for being so attached to your husband and what he did there. And for you to have an attachment to that brand, I think it makes sense. You know, a lot of what I would say constitutes attachment begins at the very early stages before anybody is even an employee, right? You have this experience with a brand and you just somehow know this place is for me. These people are mine. I belong here. And onboarding can either confirm that or tell you, uh-oh, I've made a terrible mistake. So onboarding is kind of trendy right now, especially because it's happening in this age of COVID where people don't get to see one another. So talk to me about your perception of onboarding and why it's so important. I agree with you that onboarding is this connection between what happened during the interview process and what happens as an employee. To me, onboarding is the bridge between the candidate experience and the employee experience. 
And you can either make it or break it during that period in time. And I think that there's still an opportunity, even during this COVID period where we all don't get to see each other all the time, to still create some connection. Well, I'm interested in that. I wonder if you have some thoughts or some examples or some case studies about organizations that are doing onboarding right and ones that we should think about and potentially emulate. One of the things that I really want to see organizations start spending some more time with is the idea of giving managers their own onboarding program. I don't know if you've experienced this in your career, but more than once, I've experienced companies that take the most technically competent person and they promote them to manager or they do this internally or they hire somebody from the outside and they're really, really good at the technical part, but they don't give them the rest of the tools that they need in order to be successful. And what ends up happening is you made a mistake and you get hauled into somebody's office and they say, you shouldn't have done that. And that's how you learn. Yeah, that's a hard way to learn and so dispiriting and so toxic for the ego because then you operate from a place of fear. And as a leader, who wants to do that? But I think, Charlene, over the past like 20 years, the one thing that seems to get cut from every budget is management training. Like there used to be old school manager training that taught you the fundamentals. That more and more is a luxury, not what managers just get. So talk to me a little bit about the importance of that and like, what's the future of that? You know, there's this statistic, I don't know if you've seen it or not from Gallup that says managers account for 40% of the variance in employee engagement. I understand that there are people who say, oh, you know, employee engagement, it's a well-worn term and maybe it is, but that connection, whatever it is that you you want to call it, has bottom line results attached to it. And if managers account for 40% of what happens, then making the training investment, making an investment in your management team will only pay for you long term. And especially right now, you know, we've mentioned COVID. It's kind of hard not to have a conversation these days and mention COVID at least at some point. But when you're talking about now more than ever, being able to connect with people that you don't see every day. Hey everybody, Lori here to talk about my experiences as a LinkedIn learning instructor. Last summer, I had this cool opportunity from LinkedIn Learning to record two courses. They gave me an opportunity to teach anything I wanted to teach. And I said, okay, I have two ideas. The first is on self-leadership, which is the art and science of individual accountability. And the second course I want to teach is on proactively managing conflict as an employee. When you feel like you have no power and you're constantly fighting with a boss, what do you do? Well, I've taught a course on that. So because I went through this awesome and amazing LinkedIn experience, they gave me a free code that I can give to you. If you want to try LinkedIn Learning out for 30 days free, no obligation to see my courses on proactively managing conflict or self-leadership or anybody else's courses, head on over to bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR. That's bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR, all one word, all lowercase, to get 30 days of LinkedIn Learning on me no strings attached, so you can bet on yourself and win.
So what is in a good management development program? I think about my father-in-law who worked for the phone company, AT&T, for a bazillion years, and he was brought in in the management and leadership development training program. And then they sent him out on a bunch of assignments over the years and eventually ended up back at headquarters in New York in the city. But there used to be a path for managers. And I wonder in the absence of that, what's the path for managers now? What's in a training program? I like to think of it as two different things. First of all, there's management development. And a lot of the things that are included in a typical management development program are things employees can use anytime. You know, if you think about a typical management development program, they include concepts like problem solving and decision making and how to be a good collaborator and how to communicate well. Those are all things that if I went through that program and I never became a manager for whatever reason, I would be a better employee and the company would be better for having me. But there are things that managers need to know at the point they become a manager, like how to interview someone, how to create a budget, how to schedule, how to do a feedback conversation with an employee. Those are all things that managers need to know at the point they become a manager. There's no reason to tell them ahead of time how to do this stuff. Managers will go to interview skills training, like they'll learn how to interview and they'll learn how to interview before they ever become a manager. So they went to interview skills training. It's been nine months They've never had to interview anybody except for the moment in time and training where you probably had to do a role play. And then at the end of it, they go back to their job and now they need to interview someone and they're afraid to go to HR and ask for a refresher or ask for something that will help because they're afraid HR is going to look at them and say, didn't you pay attention during interview skills training? Boy, it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? And I think unless there's on-demand training or tools that way, you're right. Where are they going to go for that refresher? So why not create some sort of repository, you could create webinars, you could put together a resource list, you could tell managers, go follow these 10 blogs that talk about recruiting and sourcing and those kinds of things. You could put together checklists. There are so many different things you could do. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big, fancy, expensive program, but you could create a resource library for managers so that as they start to get exposure to things, for the first time, they feel like HR is this resource place that they can go. It's interesting because that is kind of the tension with the modern HR department, because so often when you're a manager, the only time you ever go to HR is when there's a problem. When it's almost too late for HR to get involved and do anything positive, you go when you're at your wits end, when you lack the skills to move forward, when had you had a conversation with your HR business partner six months ago, you could have potentially abated some of these issues. So I don't know, is this a downfall of HR? Is it a downfall of the brand? And is it a challenge of just making sure that managers know HR could be and is a resource? What's at the center of all this? I have to tell you this funny story, and I don't know if I've mentioned this one to you. I went to work for a company at one point in time. I was a brand new manager. I was a brand new human resources manager, and I scheduled a meeting. You know how you go into your calendar and you schedule everybody to come to a meeting. And I scheduled a meeting in a conference room, and nobody showed up. 
And I was mortified. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I just started working at this company. I obviously, I've ticked people off. I have no idea what I've done. And so I went to the managers that were scheduled to come to the meeting and I said, hey, I scheduled a meeting. Why didn't anybody show up? They go, that room is where we fire people. And what had happened is over the course of time, whether they did it intentionally or unintentionally, when they delivered good news, they did it in their offices. And when they delivered bad news, they delivered it in conference rooms. And so what ended up happening is nobody went into a conference room except if there was something doom and gloom related. And I wouldn't have found this out if I wasn't new and I didn't do something, you know, stupid, like invite everybody to go to a meeting in this conference room. So what ended up happening is I went to my team and said, I will buy you lunch every single day on one condition you have to eat it in the conference room. And so every day we would have lunch together as a team in the conference room. And if you wanted to speak to us, you had to come to the conference room, but the entire HR department shut down every day and had lunch in the conference room to get people to realize good things can happen in the conference room. And we finally got past that a little bit, but you were talking about the brand of HR. Sometimes we have to work on the brand. I want to go back a little bit to this idea of being a manager in a virtual environment, because it's not like being a manager is ever easy under the best of circumstances. And now we're in this environment where people are taxed, they're tired, they're working from home or working under different constraints. We need managers more than ever, like good ones. And yet these are trying times. So what are your thoughts on this environment that we're in and what can HR do to enable higher performance and more engagement? from our own managers. One of the things that I think managers need is they need somebody that they can go talk to. We're relying on managers to help employees, to coach employees, to mentor them a little bit through this period in time when if you haven't worked from home before, this is all new territory for you. Well, I don't think we should make the assumption that managers know all of the answers. And sometimes we put managers in a position where we say, to them, you're a manager because you have all the answers. They need to have the same opportunity to vent about resources and ask for all the things that they need, just like the employees are asking of them. And so one place that could be helpful for managers to know that they can do that is with HR, where they know that they can go to somebody that kind of sits in neutral land and say, I need to vent. Can you be that person for me? I mean, honestly, it's the reason that I named the blog HR Bartender, because I always thought that my job was just to be that sounding board. Managers would come in and say, I don't really need anything. I just need somebody to talk to. And be that person be that person for them. And then, you know, sometimes it's just like, okay, go do what you needed to do all along. Just go do it. I'm here. I support you. I love how you've tied in the origin of HR Bartender. And I wonder as we start to wrap up the conversation, what's next for you? What's on your horizon? Whether it's another book, a blog, are you speaking? Like what does 2021 look like for HR Bartender and for Charlene? Well, we did something 
I've wanted to do for a long time, and I did start a podcast. So we just launched it just a few weeks ago. It's small. I'm doing something different with it. I think of it as seasons, like a television show. So the HR Bartender Show. I'm so excited about your first foray into the world of podcasting, and I love themes and I love seasons. Can you give us a preview of what's up on the podcast? We're talking about the future of work. I can't think of a better time to talk about the future because organizations are trying to figure out their next normal. And now they have an opportunity to maybe take some of the things that they wanted from the past and some of the things that they've learned over the past 12 months and make it their next normal. Well, I'm so excited for you and for the evolution of your business. It's been quite a journey, Charlene, that we've been on over the past decade, but I love to see how you flourish and how you kick butt and take names. It's really inspiring. And thanks for coming on and hanging out with me on Punk Rock HR. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. For more information, including show notes and links, you can head on over to punkrockhr.com. And if you like what you heard today, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.